praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you may also know how I am and how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorporable. This is the word of the Lord. Our world tells us today that no matter what you do, you need to be strong. And that you should never, ever show your weaknesses. And I'll tell you the number one place that I do not want to show my weaknesses. It's on the MBTA train. Because if you show your weaknesses on the T, someone with a little bit more street smarts than you is going to take advantage of that weakness that you're showing. A few years ago, my in-laws were in town, and uh, there were four of them, uh, their kids as well, and um, they were getting on the T, and my father-in-law grew up in the Boston area. He's ridden the T before, but I guess after 30, 40 years of uh, withdrawal from that, he's forgotten his street smarts. So they're back getting on the T for the first time in a long time, and they're trying to get on at Harvard Station. If you know Harvard Station, it's this large station, kind of cavernous, and it can be a little intimidating if you're from out of town. They're from Kentucky, all right? So they're fully Kentuckians at this point, and they're trying to get on the T for the first time in a long time, and they're just looking around, I have no idea how to do this, is, is the look on their face. I, I wasn't actually there. I heard this story secondhand, but that's pretty much how they depicted it, is I have no idea what to do. And everything on the T's changed. You know they didn't have Charlie cards and stuff back when he was riding the T, back in the 70s and 80s. So uh, they are looking around completely lost, and there's a gentleman who very kindly offers to help them. You should be a little suspicious of these gentlemen from time to time. There are some nice people uh, that might help you, but you might want to be a little suspicious. And he said, hey, can I help you? You, you look like you don't know what you're doing. They're like, oh, thank you. I would love to be helped. So the, the gentleman walks him over to the machine. You know, it doesn't ever work, but he somehow found one that works. And and helped him. He was like, all right, how long are you going to be here? Oh, you're going to be here that long? You need to load up your card. Go ahead and put $50 on the card. There's four of you. You need to go ahead and load it up. And so he helped. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And got, him, got it all loaded up. Probably took four, four tries or three different machines, but he eventually got it all loaded up. And then he's like, okay, let me help you get in here. He walked him over to the turnstile and he said, okay, you guys walk through and I'm going to send your card through every time to help you with this. So Sent it through, first person walked through, sent it through again, next person walked through, one more time, next person walked through, last time, the last person walked through, he said, thanks, and then he walked off with his card. That guy got $40 on a Charlie card just by doing that, and they're just left there like, well, that was an expensive ride. Could have taken an Uber for that one. Hustlers can smell weakness, am I right? One time I was in New Orleans, and uh, 
I was, uh, I was walking around and, and got out freshly out of my car. And there's a guy who saw my weakness immediately. He said, sir, 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 sir. I bet you $5 I can tell you where you got them shoes. And I was like, no way. He's like, shake on us. All right, you don't know where I got my shoes from. So we shook, and he said, you got them on your own two feet. Give me my money. (laughs) Hustlers can smell weakness. If there's anything that we cannot do, it is show our weaknesses. We try to hide our weaknesses at all costs and emphasize our strengths. Am I right? This is something that we do. We're always posturing ourselves, puffing up our chest a little bit more, trying to be the tallest person in the room, emphasizing our strengths and de-emphasizing our weaknesses. And then we come to the scriptures and we see the king of the world born in a stable, laid in a manger. We see the one who we worship as savior nailed to a cross weakly shedding his blood. We have this whole theme throughout all the scriptures that in our weakness, God is made strong. It's so counterintuitive to us, is it not, church? That in our weakness, God is made strong. This is one of the primary themes throughout the entire book of Ephesians that we've been studying, that in our weakness, God's strength shines through, that God's strength is clear in our weakness. And so today, as Paul concludes the book of Ephesians, we've spent about 25 weeks going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, For the next three weeks, we're going to be doing a short series on Luke 24, looking at at the resurrection account and uh, spending a little bit more time on that. We'll end that on Easter, and then we'll have a short series in there before we go into James. And we'll spend the whole summer in James. After James, we'll be going into Genesis. So just to let you know where we're going in our books of the Bible for this year. If you're reading through with our, our church Bible plan, you'll have already read Genesis, and you'll be coming up on James very soon. I think I'm about a week ahead, and I I'm just finished it. So you'll be coming up on James this week, which is a, good to, for you to look at. So today in Ephesians, Paul wraps this thing up. He says goodbye, and what he does for us is he gives us four ways to tap into the strength of God as weak humans. And he doesn't line it up quite like that, but as we read this passage, I want you to notice four ways to tap into the strength of God in our weakness. And the first way that we tap into the strength of God from our weakness is through continuous prayer. It's through continuous prayer. The second way that we do it is through bold words. The third way, encouraged hearts. And the fourth way, incorruptible loves incorruptible love. So let's, let's talk about continuous prayer for just a moment, okay? Uh, one of these passages, here we are, one of these passages in the Scripture, if, you, if you're, you've been in the church for a little while, you know that one of the things that the Scriptures say pretty often, it says it several different times, is pray always, pray continually. And here Paul is telling us to pray always. Again, Ephesians verse 18, it says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that, alert, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. He wants us to be praying at all times. Now, last week, when we were going over the passage before this, we talked about, anybody remember? Armor of God? Yeah, we talked about armor of God last week. 
And one of the things with the armor of God is it's not very easy to know when to end talking about the armor of God. So I cut it off after the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But if you look at that passage, let's look just a little bit back. If you have your Bibles open, you can look with me. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 16, when he's talking about the the armor of God. He says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the darts of of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Last week, we ended in the middle of a sentence. That's a big no-no, all right? So when we start this week, we need to recognize that it's connected with last week. This is not an independent thought. He's saying, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord, praying at all times. As we read our scriptures, we're praying at all times. We stand firm church, against sin, against Satan, against temptation, with the sword of the Spirit praying at all times. Many commentators have said that this is how you put on the armor of God, that you do it while praying, by praying. Paul emphasizes this point. He repeats himself. As I've mentioned before, you want to look at where Paul repeats himself, and he says, praying at all times, verse 18, in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. He has like four different ways that he talks about prayer just in those two verses. Pray at all times, with all prayer and supplication. That's redundant. Keep alert with all perseverance. That means pray at all times. Making supplication. Didn't he just say supplication? For all the saints. Pray at all times. Man, that's tough, right? That is tough to pray at all times. I uh, am one to, to say that that's challenging. That's challenging even me. Imagine how strong your faith must be to pray at all times. There was once a man who approached a pastor and said that he did that. He said, Pastor, I'm, I'm praying all the time, and at least for an hour intensely every morning, just spent in prayer. The pastor immediately, as what I would do too, immediately did not believe him, because that is what it sounds like for a liar to speak, to say, I pray for over an hour every morning and at all times. And the pastor said, no, you, come on, man, come on, be honest with me. You can't lie to your pastor. He said, no, pastor, I really do. And somehow the man was able to convince the pastor that he really does pray all the time. And it wasn't a way to just show off. Because sometimes like, oh yeah, I'm always praying. And people are like, oh, look at you. <laughs> Good you. You know, it's a way to show off your, your spirituality. But somehow this man convinced his pastor that he really does pray at all times. And it's not a way for him to just show off. And the pastor said, how is your faith so strong, sir? How do you have so much faith that you spend so much time in prayer? You have a normal job. You have a family. How are you spending so much time? You are the strongest Christian in our church. And he said, well, that's where you're wrong, and that's the key. I'm not the strongest Christian in this church. I'm probably the weakest. But I know where I'm weak. I'm plagued. I'm plagued with temptation, Pastor. I'm always wanting to live for myself. And I know that unless I spend time in prayer, that I'll never stand up against all of my weaknesses. You see, maybe it's not that we aren't strong enough 
to pray at all times, but that we don't recognize our weakness to pray at all times. Friends, our, our faith is often fragile, is it not? It's weak. It's difficult. We are weak. We are fragile. And we need the Lord's help. Could it be that the reason you, we have a hard time praying for longer than two or three minutes is because our view of ourselves is too high and our view of God is too low? Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit. We don't pray with the Spirit, although we do. We do pray with the Spirit. The Spirit intercedes for us. We don't pray for the Spirit, but we pray in the Spirit. This means that while we're praying, what we're actually doing is communing with God. And so when I think about, wow, what does it take to pray at all times? What does it take in a person to have the desire to pray at all times? Because I'll tell you what, that desire is just not naturally there for me to pray at all times. What does it take in a person to be there? And we see that Paul exemplifies it for us. He exemplifies what type of prayer would motivate us to pray at all times. Because what, when Paul prays, you can notice something about his prayers. And you notice that his prayers are filled with joy. That Paul is delighting in the Lord. That he's connecting the finite with the infinite. That he's touched by God in his prayers, that he experiences that type of joy, and he exemplifies it throughout his prayers. So I want to look at Paul's prayers just in the book of Ephesians to think through why this man can say, pray at all times, and that not sound like a chore. Because praying at all times sounds like a chore unless you pray like Paul prays and you see it the way that he sees it. Because he exemplifies powerful prayers. He has two prayers in, in his book up until this point that are really clear. And the first one's in, in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles open, turn over to Ephesians 1. We're going to look there for just a moment. Ephesians 1, looking at verse 15, and he just has this powerful prayer. And what I want you to do is I want you to count the number of times that Paul emphasizes experiencing the love of the Lord. He sees the love of the, Lord, of the Lord like a diamond that he can turn and look at different facets of it. And so he emphasizes this idea of experiencing the love of God over and over in different ways. See how many you can count as we read this passage together. For this reason, verse 15, Ephesians 1, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all of the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now that's an interesting phrase, the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So everything that comes after here, he's talking about stuff that he wants you to know, not with your head, but with the eyes of your heart that you understand it in your heart. So here, what he ha has to say, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according 
to the working of his great might. Now, I'm gonna, not going to ask you how many you counted there, but there's at least three or four different ways that he emphasizes the presence of God, the power of God, the love of God in different kind of ways. Paul can pray that way because he's a man who's experienced the greatness of God, and he knows that that's actually what we most need in our life is to experience the love and kindness of the infinite God. And so how do we get it? He actually shows us how we actually experience this as he continues his prayer in verse 20. He says, he wants us to have the eyes of our hearts open so that we might understand the glorious inheritance of the saints, the immeasurable greatness of his power, the working of his great might. And then he tells us how, in verse 20, he says, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The eyes of our hearts are enlightened as we look at the resurrected Christ, the one who has completed the work for us, the one who has been raised from the dead and seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. As we contemplate, meditate, embrace, and understand in our hearts the completed work of Christ on our behalf, the eyes of our hearts are enlightened and we experience the love of God. The love of God is about drilling in the gospel message so deep into your heart to where you understand that God loves you and cares for you and empowers you regardless, despite of your own sin, your own weakness, your own failures. We have to do this more and more. And, and how, do we, how do we get that? How do we get that deep realization? How do we get more of that? Because that's what I want more of. I want to understand that more because when I understand the gospel properly, I do not live for others' approval. I only live for God's approval. I'm not plagued by the ways that I failed throughout the week because I know that in God's eyes, I'm a, I'm a success. I'm not l- living in my depression, in my anxiety. I'm not controlled by those things, but I know that he cares for me. How do I get more of that? And he explains it in our passage today, back in Ephesians 6. Because, again, the the verse right before the one that we focused on, he said, taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. How do we get more of the delight of the Lord, but it's to let the light of the Lord shine in? And where do we get that? But we look to His Word. Prayer is not meant to be this monologue that we have before God, where we're just presenting all of our requests to Him. Prayer is meant to be a dialogue. And how do you hear from God? But you open His Word, and you read it, and you meditate upon it, and you cherish it, and you let the light of His Word shine into your hearts that you might be filled with it and experience His kindness new every morning. And as you read His Word, you turn it into prayer. As you read this word, you say, I want that. I want what God has to offer. What is is God trying to communicate to me today? 
What would be different about my life if this was explosively alive in my innermost being, this truth that I'm reading today? And as we meditate upon his word, we're melted by his love, we're convicted of our sin, we repent, and we're motivated to commune with him. And that's where we find our motivation for prayer. We have to commune with the Lord or we'll never want to spend all times praying. Unless you understand the delight and the pleasures of what it means to experience God, what it means to live with Him, what it means to read His Word and be convicted and be warmed, be reminded of truths that are so dear to you. Unless you cherish these things, you'll never want to pray at all times. Unless you take up the sword of the Spirit, you cannot have that motivation to pray at all times. So that's the primary point that he's making in this passage. That's the primary point that he's making here. Practically, what does it mean to pray at all times? Does it mean that you're always on your knees before your father praying? And no, of course not. You live your normal life praying as you go about your normal life, allowing the scriptures to fuel your life. But I will tell you one thing is that that is more difficult in our day and age than it ever has been before. And I'm with you because if I get a free moment, well, you know, a hundred years ago, if you got a free moment, you just stared out the window because there wasn't anything else to do, okay? You don't sit there answering email. If you are writing something, I spend a lot of my time writing because I'm writing sermons, and my brain just can't write all day long. If you've ever written a paper, you know that this is true. You, you write for a paragraph or two, and then you have to like let your brain sizzle out a little bit. You would just look out the window. You would just observe what God's doing. You would just take a moment and let your brain wander to a friend, to a hardship, to whatever it is, and you would then pray. But today, our, our brains are so anesthetized, we're so numbed, because we just surf Facebook, we pull out our phone, we play a game, we find something else to occupy our attention. And friends, we, there's a depravity of attention in our worlds today. And so praying at all times is more difficult for us today than it ever has been, because our attention is more sucked away from us than it ever has been. And so I'll challenge you that if you want to pray at all times, it means that you're going to have to like empty some other parts of your life so that you can be bored. If you get bored, you might start praying, okay? But we're just so entertained that it makes it really difficult to meditate with them. So that's the first way and the main way, that's the longest point, um, of how we tap into the strength of the Lord is through continuous prayer, recognizing that we are weak. And the second way that we can tap into the strength of the Lord is through bold words, bold words. Look at verse 19 with me in Ephesians 6. He says, and also for me, he's asking for, Paul has a prayer request. He says, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I don't know about you guys, but it's actually kind of encouraging to see that Paul himself is asking for prayer that he might have courage to share the gospel. Here's this guy shared the gospel for the first time with probably more people than almost anyone since, wrote half the New Testament. And he's saying, can you pray for me? Because boldness doesn't come naturally. Can you pray for me? 
Because I'm not sure my words are going to be good enough for what I have coming up. And I need the Lord to give me the right words. So that as I proclaim the mysteries of the gospel, which is so true, the the gospel is mysterious. We don't quite understand it all the way through. That the Lord might take their hearts and he might save them and let that mystery go into their hearts with his words and not my words. Paul needs prayer. He knows that he's not sufficient for that sort of thing. In his weakness, he asks for bold words. Do you feel weak when it comes to sharing your faith? Yeah, me too. And we need the words of the Lord. Look at what he asks for. He says, he doesn't ask for courage, although it's going to take courage. He simply asks them, the main thing he asks for for is that words be given to him. He says, Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly. So he knows he's going to open his mouth boldly. He doesn't know if he's going to have the right words to say. And he's praying and saying, will you give me the words to say? Like prayer, sharing our faith feels like a chore. It feels like a duty. Many of us, if you grew up in church, you know that we have good news. We're called to share the good news. We want others to know the good news and experience the joy of the Lord, but that is challenging. We're afraid that our friends might reject us. We're afraid that we're going to look foolish. Even this week, I was, I just invited a friend to church, and then I felt like he kind of uh, found his way apart from me very quickly. And it's like, I'm a pastor, okay? You ask me what I'm doing, what I do for, for a career, and I'm like, I'm a pastor, you know you're about to get invited to church, all right? That's just like part of the job. Don't be offended, it's my job, all right? That's like what I do. Um, but it's still something that's challenging for us. How would it change if you knew that the Lord would give you just the right words, though? If you knew that the words that came out of your mouth would not be your words, but would be the words that the Lord had given you, that you needed for that moment. Our job is not to make sure that they believe everything that we're saying. But as Paul is saying, he doesn't ask for prayer that their hearts would necessarily be changed, although that's a fine thing to pray. He doesn't ask that he has fruit in it. He just asks for the right words, that God might do his thing, that God might bring them to salvation. Paul has no control how people will respond to that message. We have no control whether people will reject our message. Paul's message was rejected over and over and over again. He was ran out of town with people with rocks in their hands. So will yours be, I'm sure. But so was Jesus's. You could be Jesus himself and have the most lockstep argument for the gospel that you could ever imagine, and people will still reject it. And so what we do is we just pray for the right words and that God might speak to them. We don't manipulate people's responses. We simply proclaim, as Paul said, the mystery of the gospel. That is that God sent his one and only son to make a way for us to have a relationship with him by bearing the wrath for our punishment and being risen from the dead on the third day so that we might live with him eternally. That's the mystery. Now, why would he do this for us? Because he loves us. And why would he love us? That's part of the mystery. Because it's not anything lovely about us, but it's just for his own glory. 
As we proclaim the gospel boldly, we're reminded that we are weak. And we were reminded that we do this wherever we are. Look at verse 20. He says, for, while, for which I am an ambassador of chains. He's in, he's in chains because he is proclaiming the gospel boldly. So he's in prison, but he still considers himself an ambassador for God. He's still saying, hey, this is where God has me, and I'm just going to be faithful to where I am. And so for us, the application there is wherever you are is where God has you. You don't have to go and do street evangelism to feel like you're doing, being faithful. Think through who God has in your life that you can slowly ask the Lord to give you the right words to say, speak to, to give you the opportunity to speak to them. We tap into the strength of the Lord through continuous prayer, bold words, and encouraged hearts, number three. These last two are the shortest. The, the human heart, it's oftentimes discouraged. And Paul knows that, and so that's why he sent a messenger. And he says this in verse 21. So that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So Tychicus, this guy, this is Paul's uh, message boy. Okay, Tychicus, he didn't just deliver Ephesians. He, Tychicus uh, delivered five different books of the New Testament. He, de he delivered Ephesians. He delivered Philippians. He delivered uh, Colossians. He delivered 2 Timothy and Titus. So this guy's running around like a postman. And one thing that's really important is that Paul's not just sending some random dude. He's sending a beloved brother and faithful minister. He's sending, he's sending a beloved brother and faithful minister so that he could share how everyone is doing and so that he might encourage them. He, he wants Tychicus to be an encouragement to these people. So he sends someone in flesh and blood. He, he says, this, my letter's not good enough to encourage you. That's actually what he's saying. It's Paul's like, I just wrote a book of the Bible for you and that's not going to be enough to encourage you. I'm going to send my faithful brother it tells us something about the importance of human contact, right? And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are here, but we need one another. We need to be encouraged by one another. I just want you to contemplate who has the Lord put, you, put in your life to encourage and who's the Lord put into your life to encourage you. Maybe you should tell someone that they're an encouragement to you. Just their presence in your life is an encouragement to you. There's many people like that for me. You don't have to have a reason. Just say, hey, just your presence in my life. It's an encouragement. I want our church to be a place where we're openly affectionate and caring for one another, where we make this big emphasis that we love one another, that we have a gospel culture, that we care for one another. This is one reason why we want you to be here. This is one reason why we want you to be in a community group. This is one reason why we hang out for so long after church, eating bagels and, and drinking coffee. It's the reason why we budget all the money to eat bagels after church because we want people to hang out longer so that we can have openly affectionate conversation and encourage one another. It's one reason why we're praying over when is the right time to turn off the live stream. And I know that that's a, challenge, that's a challenging conversation for all church leaders. So there's a lot of pastors thinking about that right now. And it's because we know the importance of encouraging one another in person, that a letter isn't good enough, that a live stream really isn't good enough. It was a, it's a temporary measure. The day will come. 
And the third way that we tap into the strength of the Lord is with incorruptible love. Let's look at these last two verses. They're important to us. He says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the, love, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now this word incorruptible, I actually had to look up this word. I did not know what incorruptible meant uh, when I first read it. I mean, the only time I see corruptible is like with a software file, I guess. Like this is corrupted. And even then I'm like, well, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? Someone, someone with a tech background later is going to have to explain to me how a file becomes corrupted. But when, as I looked up incorruptible, what I saw is not subject to death or decay, everlasting. Incorruptible. I don't know about you guys, but my love for Christ, I don't know if I would describe it as incorruptible because my heart is oftentimes fickle. My love waxes and wanes. I don't know if incorruptible is the right word for it. But Christ has given me incorruptible love because he has loved me first, because he has cared for me, because he has loved me. I have an incorruptible love. There's nothing you can do to cause the love of Christ to corrupt. It is incorruptible, and it's been given to you in the gospel. And as we have this gospel message, we also receive the incorruptible love of God. As he has loved us, so we in turn love him. My earthly love waxes and wanes, but his love for me will never fail and he will hold me fast. So one thing that we do every week is we practice a sacred meal called communion. And this is something that we encourage the believers in our church, those who have been recognized, who have recognized their faith and followed after Christ to participate in. Let's pray together as we sing this song. Father, as we come to your table now, we thank you for preparing a meal for us. And we pray that as we enjoy this meal, it might be a taste of the love that you have for us, that we might be encouraged by it, that we might be reminded of the way that you've loved us with an incorruptible love. You've given your body for us. You've given your blood for us, that we might be reminded of this. And we know that you're present with us even at this moment. And so, God, we pray that you motivate us to pray continually, that you help us to live in our weakness so that you might be made strong. God, give us bold words. Give us encouraged hearts and incorruptible love. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.